fire tonight in the name of Jesus. Flood our hearts with the revelation knowledge of your son Jesus Christ. We pray you fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We are educated and tutored by the Holy Spirit. We thank you Father that there is no confusion. We thank you Father that there is precision and accuracy of the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you Father that the eyes of men are opened. The eyes of men are enlightened. We give you glory for a glorious service tonight in Jesus name amen hallelujah so we begin tonight's for Tizo service i want to um, extend special greetings to every member and Hevenian of love and grace city church i really appreciate you for all your time your comments your sharing it's an honor i also want to appreciate um, everyone who is still watching us from beyond ghana and within ghana i really appreciate you for using your airtime and your bundle to uh, watch uh, uh, this space and i thank god so much and i really appreciate you tonight is going to be an excellent time with jesus christ so now tonight i want to continue uh, with the essence of his resurrection the essence of the resurrection of jesus christ the essence of the resurrection of jesus christ i believe your life is never going to be the same now um on monday we took time to explain the um um the the false claims that were made up against the resurrection of jesus christ we call them the um the fallacies about the resurrection there were a lot of theories that were propounded after jesus was raised from the dead we explained that on monday i uh, i i want to advise that you go to my wall you're going to see uh, that teaching which was on monday but we started with the essence of his resurrection and we said number one the resurrection guaranteed sonship the resurrection of jesus christ guaranteed sonship now we explained the other time that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the core message of Christianity. Because had Jesus Christ not risen from the dead, there is no Christianity. There is no believer without resurrection. There is no believer without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we explain that the resurrection guaranteed sonship because um in john chapter 3 verse 16 the bible says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son now we explain that as the incarnation of jesus christ in the incarnation of jesus christ he was the only begotten son of god in the incarnation of jesus christ he was the only begotten of the father but in the resurrection of jesus christ he became the first begotten from the dead now there is a reason why jesus christ was the only begotten um, um, in incarnation and why he's the firstborn from the dead jesus was the only begotten of the father in incarnation because he was the uncorruptible or incorruptible seed of god that was made ready to wrought salvation for man but after jesus died and was buried and was raised from the dead that resurrection made him the firstborn from the dead 
Now, firstborn tells us that there are other children. We explained from scriptures, uh, starting from Romans chapter 8, the verse 29. The Bible says, for those he foreknew, he predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. He says, those he predestinated, he, uh, those he uh, foreknew, he predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son that he jesus might be the firstborn amongst many brethren so firstborn in the context of romans 8 29 explains that now in his resurrection now god has many sons and jesus has many brothers so we read romans chapter 1 the verse 3 and 4 let's read get your bibles uh, with you and let's read together I read from the verse 1, Romans chapter 1, the verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So Jesus was made according to the seed of David according to the flesh. So by the flesh, he was made according to the seed of David. But the verse 4 says, and declared to be the son of God. And declared, the word declared is the Greek word which means to designate. So Jesus was designated to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus was designated the son of God by the power of his resurrection. So I said that when Jesus was on earth, though he was the son of God, he never functioned on earth as the son of God if jesus functioned fully on earth as the son of god now he would have he would have functioned with his eternal glory and that wouldn't have been possible for salvation so jesus stripped all his godhood jesus stripped and abnegated and repudiated everything about deity concerning himself and the bible says he emptied himself the greek the greek says the kenosis of christ he emptied himself by becoming a man so uh, uh, according to the flesh he was the seed of david but by the spirit of holiness he was declared the son of god by resurrection so we read in the book of acts chapter 13 from the verse 32 he says and we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers god has fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he raised jesus up again as it is written in the second psalm thou art my son this day have i begotten thee so psalm 2 the verse 7 we declare that thou art my son this day have i begotten thee was not referring to his incarnation it was referring to his resurrection so when jesus was raised from the dead he was designated the son of god according to the power of resurrection so because jesus was raised as the firstborn from the dead now god could have many sons and jesus could now have many brothers now let's look at revelation chapter 1 the verse 5 i read he says and from jesus christ 
who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead you see that he is the first begotten of the dead or from the dead so jesus was first born from the dead in other words he was the first to be raised from spiritual death and the reason why jesus was raised from spiritual death was not for himself jesus did not need to be raised from spiritual death jesus was raised from spiritual death so that we who were dead in sins and trespasses could be resurrected or raised spiritually and for and, and enter into sonship relationship with the father so the re resurrection of jesus christ made it possible for us to be sons of god now this is a very vital truth the resurrection of jesus christ made it possible for us to be sons of god the resurrection of jesus christ made it possible for us to be the sons of god now let's read the final scripture in colossians chapter 1 the verse 8 colossians chapter 1 the verse 8 the verse 18 sorry colossians 1 18 i read he says and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead are you seeing that so anytime it, uh, jesus is referred to as firstborn it will is always referred to as firstborn from the dead so i explained that there is a difference between the jesus from the womb and the jesus from the tomb the jesus from the womb is incarnation where he came or proceeded from the womb of mary that was incarnation but the jesus from the tomb was the jesus that was born out of spiritual death the jesus from the tomb was the god that was raised from spiritual death into life so we came with jesus christ because in ephesians chapter 2 uh, the verse uh, uh, two to four the bible tells us when he was raised we were raised together with him so his resurrection guaranteed our sonship because he's raised today by faith in him we also could be called the sons of god we also are made the sons of god we also are born of god i explained that the word firstborn in the greek as the greek word prototokos and the word prototokos is from two greek words which is protos and tikto protos in the greek means first or chief uh, tikto means to produce or to birth so the word firstborn means the first to be begotten or the first to be produced that word prototokos means a prototype so jesus is the prototype of a son of god he's the prototype son of god that means all sons of god will be conformed to his nature that is why romans chapter 8 verse 29 says those he foreknew in other words those god knew before time he destined before time that they should be conformed to the image of his son the word conform means they should be in the similitude of the image of his son that means god predestined that we will look exactly like jesus so the christian is exactly like jesus and the resurrection of jesus made this possible so in hebrews chapter 2 the verse um, 9 uh, we can read from the verse 10 hebrews chapter 2 the verse 9 he says but we see jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of god should taste death for every man he says for it became of him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons in bringing many sons to glory 
how does he bring many sons to glory he brings many sons to glory by resurrection by raising them and giving birth to them from the dead so he says in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering for both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren so God in the person of Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us his brethren so the believer is a child of God this must sink the believer is a child of God his identity is that he's the son of God and a brethren of Jesus of, of, uh, of Jesus Christ so Jesus is our brother the word brethren is from the Greek word adelphos which means twins born from the same womb or uh, the word adelphos also means from the same womb that means we proceeded from the same womb what womb is that the womb of resurrection so the resurrection of jesus was the womb that birthed sons into sonship hallelujah so the bible says in romans 8 15 that we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but the spirit of adoption which is the spirit of sonship he says by whom we cry out abba father so today the spirit crying within us the fatherhood of god the spirit um 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 weaves within us the consciousness of the fatherhood of god so god is now our father through christ jesus god is our father through jesus christ first john 2 uh, let's see if i can get that for you um first john chapter 3 first john chapter 3 Thank you, Holy Spirit. First John chapter 3, uh, from the verse 1. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth not us because it knew him not. The verse 2 says, Sorry. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. So he says, Behold, what manner of love so the entire finished work of jesus christ or the entirety of the the work of christ is the act of god's love whatever jesus did for us was the demonstration of god's love so he says god lavished this love upon us uh, uh, that we should be called the sons of god so the believer is god's son you are a son of god god is your father and you need to be conscious of this reality god is my father come on say this after me god is my father god is my father hallelujah thank you holy spirit thank you jesus now we want to look at the second essence of his resurrection number two the second essence of his resurrection is that his resurrection is the assurance that we can enjoy complete forgiveness freedom from sin and eternal salvation you need to write this down the resurrection of jesus christ is the assurance that we can enjoy complete forgiveness freedom from sin and eternal salvation i want to repeat that for the third time the, the resurrection of jesus christ is the assurance that we can enjoy complete forgiveness freedom from sin and eternal salvation let's read some scriptures first corinthians chapter 15 the verse 17 first corinthians 15 the verse 17 thank you holy spirit thank you holy spirit 
all right let me start from the verse 14 first corinthians 15 14 i read he says and if christ be not risen then our preaching then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain in other words if jesus did not rise from the dead preaching the gospel is useless and faith in the gospel is also useless you see that so we move on so he says yea and we have found false witnesses because we have testified of god that he raised up christ whom he raised not up if so be that the dead riseth not he says for if the dead rise not then is not christ raised and if christ be not raised now pay attention your faith is vain ye are yet in your sins let me read that again and if christ be not raised your faith is vain ye are yet in your sins now look at that he's saying if jesus did not rise from the dead then faith is vain and if faith is vain you are still in your sins so now let me ask you this question how did you get into sin it was because of adam and the bible tells us you were dead in sins and trespasses so you were dead in sin and trespasses now jesus came to bear our sins and he became sin for us and he rose from the dead now we preach the gospel so that men can believe and experience that same resurrection power now paul is saying if christ be not raised your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins which means if jesus is raised from the dead faith can become possible if jesus was raised from the dead faith can become possible and if faith becomes possible a man can be out of his sins that means when a man believes that god raised jesus up from the dead that man is no longer in sin now i didn't say that person will not sin i didn't say that person does not sin physically no you, th there could be someone listening to me still living in sin but you are not in your sins in other words you are no longer dead in sin you are no longer dead in sin you could be sinning but if you have believed jesus you are no longer in sin why because his resurrection has brought you life and that life is the termination of sin's power in your spirit this is beautiful so he says if christ be not raised from the dead your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins so what we are saying is that the resurrection is the assurance that we are forgiven uh, of our sins we are uh, freed from sin and we have eternal salvation this is very important it's a very very important teaching you need to you need to get the reason why we are saved today is because of faith and the reason why there is faith is because jesus rose from the dead so if you read romans chapter 10 the verse 9 and 10 the bible says if you shall confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead so what are we to believe we are not just to believe that jesus died because every man dies 
So preaching that Jesus died and leaving it there is, is not complete gospel. Preaching only of the death of Jesus is not complete gospel because every man dies. Every religious leader dies. What makes Christianity unique is the one who died for you rose up again from the dead. The one who died for you rose again from the dead. So today there is faith because he rose. And because there is faith in his resurrection, we are out of our sins when we believe. So no believer can be in sin. No believer can be in sin. A believer can fall into sin, but no believer is in sin. To be in sin means to be under sin's power and judgment. To be in sin means to be under sin's power and judgment. To fall into sin is allowing your flesh to take over the recreated human spirit from functioning. So, a believer can fall into sin, but that doesn't mean that he is in sin. Because when he believed in the gospel, he was freed from sin. Now, let's take some few scriptures. Uh, Romans chapter 6, the verse 9. Uh, let me see. Romans chapter 6. Alright, now let's read from the verse 6. Romans chapter 6, the verse 6. He says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see that? He says, now for he that is dead is freed from sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death no more has dominion over him. Over him. Now, the Bible says, Christ being raised from the dead, he dies no more. For death no longer has power over him. Now, the Bible is telling us that Christ is raised from the dead and Jesus dies no more. Now, how do we see ourselves in this? Because when Jesus was raised, we were raised together with him. That means we die no more. Jesus was raised from the dead and dies no more. We were raised together with him and therefore we die no more. And the Bible says, for death has no dominion over him. In other words, because we were raised together with him, death has no dominion over us. That is why we keep emphasizing that the resurrection of Jesus guaranteed and assured eternal salvation, eternal forgiveness of sin, and eternal freedom from sin. So anyone that believes Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, this man is freed from sin. So sin no longer has dominion over his spirit. This is incredible. Let's take some few scriptures. Um, Colossians chapter 2, the verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, the verse 13. I love this. Colossians chapter 3, the verse 13. Alright, I read. Um, let me read from Colossians 2.13 Colossians 2.13 Colossians 2.13 Now he says um, He says And you being dead in your sins And the uncircumcision of your flesh Now the word end means The word end in Greek is kai Which means that is Or even or which is So he's saying And you being dead in your sins 
he further explained what it means to be dead in your sins he said the uncircumcision of your flesh now this is beautiful in the old testament there was a certain practice called circumcision circumcision is the cutting away of the foreskin on the private part of a man circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh on the private part of a man now god told abraham to circumcise his family and institute circumcision uh, as a principle that the children of israel are going to follow now the principle of circumcision had a prophetic and christological essence when it was practiced now what happens in circumcision is that the foreskin on your flesh on your private part is cut off now this was what made you a member of israel this is what qualified you to be an israelite you cannot be an israelite without circumcision now note that this is very important so this physical circumcision was the taking away of the foreskin of your manhood or your private part which made you a member of israel now god is saying all this was only a type pointing to a greater circumcision which is performed by jesus now let's start from colossians chapter um to the verse 10 he says and you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and the power he says in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands so there are two circumcisions physical circumcision done in israel that qualified you to become a member of israel or an israelite and we have spiritual circumcision which is not performed with any razor or any knife but is performed by jesus christ himself so there is physical uh, circumcision and there is spiritual circumcision physical circumcision is the cutting away of the foreskin on the manhood of a man but spiritual circumcision is performed by christ jesus how is this circumcision performed i read again he says in whom also ye are circumcised so the believer has been circumcised only that his circumcision is beyond the physical he went further to say um, uh, with the circumcision made without hands what is that circumcision in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of christ so remember there are two circumcisions the circumcision of man and the circumcision of christ the circumcision of man takes away the foreskin of the manhood of a man that makes him a member of israel the circumcision of christ is the putting off of the body of sin which is the flesh so just like they cut off the foreskin in christ he cuts off your flesh which is the body of sin called the sin nature now this is beautiful so christ cuts off or separates or puts off uh, the the flesh which is the sin nature in man's spirit through spiritual circumcision now this is incredible he says buried with him the verse 12 colossians 2 in baptism wherein ye are risen with him through faith of the oppression of god now remember the circumcision of man is the oppression of man the circumcision in christ is the oppression of god now this is very important the circumcision of man is the oppression of man the circumcision of christ is the oppression of god and the bible says by faith that experience is realized 
by faith we experience that oppression of God in the circumcision of cutting away or putting off the body of sin which is the flesh now he says in the verse uh, 12 again he says through the faith of the oppression of God who had raised him from the dead so the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ was what it was the technology God used to bring spiritual circumcision to a man that believes Jesus now in the verse 13 which is my main point he says and you being dead in your sins that is the uncircumcision of the flesh in other words another name for to be dead in sins means you are uncircumcised so now listen listen in the old testament anyone that was not circumcised was not recognized as a jew anyone that was not circumcised was not recognized as a jew so anyone who was not a jew was called uncircumcision remember david saw goliath and said who and said who is this uncircumcised philistine anyone who is not a jew was called uncircumcision so those days it was circumcision that qualified you to be an israelite today it is the circumcision of christ that makes us members of the body of christ but this circumcision is done by christ but we appropriate it and we receive it by faith through the operation of god so now just like circumcision was what made you a member of israel spiritual circumcision which is done by christ is what makes you a christian or a member of the body of christ or a son of god or a child of god so this is beautiful so the believer has been circumcised how the body of sin that is the flesh has been put off it has been cut off praise god how was it cut off by the resurrection of jesus so the back to the verse 13 he says and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of the flesh so to be dead in sin means to be uncircumcised that means you are still in the flesh you are still in the flesh that means you are still in your sins so he says he had quickened together with him so what does it mean to be circumcised it means you are raised together with christ from the dead so to be raised with christ from the dead means circumcision to be raised together with christ from the dead means circumcision so he says he quickened together with him and having forgiven you all trespasses so when we were raised we when, we, when jesus was raised it was the guarantee that your sins are forgiven so your sins are not forgiven because you beg god we need to get this thing the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins he didn't say without uh he, he didn't say shedding tears so it is not your shed tears that brings forgiveness it's the shed blood of jesus that brings forgiveness you need to let this settle in your heart it is not the shedding of your tears that guarantees forgiveness it is the shedding of the blood of jesus through his entire work of redemption that brings you forgiveness so from today never ever think it is your tears never ever think it is you rolling on the ground never ever think it is you using your head to hit the wall that brings you forgiveness never forgiveness was a reality we could receive in our spirit because jesus was raised from the dead so today we receive forgiveness 
we don't beg for it we receive it it's a reality that is in christ christ accomplished forgiveness and it is in his resurrection now this is so clear the first 10 thing i read again he says and you being dead in your sins that is the uncircumcision of your flesh had he quickened together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses so in the resurrection of jesus the forgiveness of all your sins was made real in your life this is good i'm forgiven the believer is forgiving this is good thank you jesus all right so let's read some more scriptures so we 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 said that the resurrection of jesus christ is the assurance of our salvation why do we know we are saved forever we know we are saved forever because jesus was raised from the dead and he dies no more (laughs) jesus was raised from the dead and he dies no more now let me read some scripture for you for for you from hebrews chapter 6 this is really going to bless you hebrews chapter 6 Hebrews chapter 6. I want to read from, um, let's read from the verse 13. He says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. In other words, when a man swears, you can take him for his word. Okay, so he says, when a man swears, there's no strife again. You can take him for his word. Okay, so he says, wearing God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability or the unchangeability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, I, in other words, by two unchangeable things he says in which it is impossible for god to lie we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us now this is too much this is too much let me read let me finish it and explain he says for which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entered into that within the veil whither the forerunner is for us entered even jesus made an high priest forever after the order of melchizedek this is beautiful now let me read from the verse 18 that is where my meat is he says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for god to lie we might have a strong consolation now what are the two immutable things it is in from the verse 14 to the verse 17. it is god's promise and god's oath there are the two immutable things when god promises he has promised he can't change it when god swears he has sworn he can't change it so the bible calls these two things because god promised abraham and he swore to abraham 
God promised to Abraham, then God swore to Abraham. God gave a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and told him he would bless him and make him a blessing. Now, after the sacrifice of Isaac, when God saw Abraham's faithfulness, God swore. He swore again about giving him a son. So, first of all, God promised Abraham, then God went ahead to swear. The act of God promising and swearing is called two Im uh, the uh, it, it calls it by the two immutable things. So these two things are God's promise and God's oath. That means God's swearing. So these things are unchangeable. If God promises, he can't change. And the Bible says by uh, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. In other words, if God promises, he cannot lie. If God swears, he cannot lie. So the Bible calls it two immutable things. That means two unchangeable things. So remember in the, uh, the verse 17, he says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. In other words, uh, the unchangeableness of God's decision of god's counsel is that he says by two immutable things it is impossible for god to lie that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope that is said before us now this is too beautiful you see if i, I always tell you if you don't read genesis to deuteronomy uh, you can't understand some of the words that are used in the book of hebrew the bible says who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us now you, if you have not been in israel before or if you have not understood the um um the what word should i use um the custom or the tradition of israel you cannot be able to understand this scripture he says by the immutability of god's counsel the immutability uh, uh, of God's promise and God's oath. He says, we have fled for refuge. Now, according to <laughs> Joshua chapter 20, let me see if I could get that for you. Joshua chapter 20. All right. God spoke to Joshua to appoint cities of refuge. Now, you need to listen to this very carefully. God told Joshua to appoint cities of refuge. Let me explain. Let me read it before I explain. He says, The Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge. Remember, Hebrews 6 says, we have fled for refuge. God says, appoint cities of refuge, whereof I spoke unto you by the hand of Moses, that the, sl that the slayer that killeth a person unawares, and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger. Hmm. And he that doeth flee unto one of those cities of refuge shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city 
and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city and they shall take him into the city unto him and give him a place that he may dwell amongst them joshua 20 the verse 5 and if the avenger of blood pursue after him then shall they not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him uh, and hated him not before time and he shall dwell in the city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days then shall the slayer return and shall come into his own city unto his own house unto the city from whence he fled this is incredible now God told Joshua to appoint certain cities which were going to be called cities of refuge. In other words, when a man sinned by committing murder or when a man sinned by killing someone on unawares and the, the relatives of those he killed are looking for him to kill him, he says, flee to the city of refuge. You flee to the city of refuge the moment the killer the murderer enters into the city of refuge and explains himself the elders receive him into the city of refuge now those who are looking for him to revenge him and kill him and punish him for his sin the bible says they cannot touch him if he flees to the city of refuge this is incredible the only time they can attack this man and take revenge is on two conditions when the man is brought before the court for judgment and number two when the high priest dies <laughs> this is incredible a man kills he murders and they are looking for him to kill him he runs to the city of refuge and when he gets to the city of refuge and explains himself that he they are looking for him to kill him they make him enter that city and they protect him no no one can touch that guy no one can kill him you dare not kill him the only time you can be able to come and attack this guy and kill him is when he's brought before judgment and he's judged and number two when the high priest is dead so as long as the high priest is alive this man who has flee to the city of refuge is safe <laughs> so let's take an analogy imagine this man is in the city of refuge and he sees the high priest walking very strong very healthy and he's walking how do you think he's going to feel he's going to feel happy because his high priest is still alive the moment he hears that his high priest has headache or his high priest has been admitted to kolebu he will go and look for him and say high priest i beg go don't die i beg don't die if you die i die because the only reason why uh, the killer or the murderer will be killed or will die is when he's brought to judgment and when the high priest is dead. So as long as the high priest is alive, this man will still be alive. <laughs> 
So his life is dependent on how alive the high priest is. <laughs> so if the high priest dies, the people can come and take him and kill him. This is incredible. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 that we let's go back there. Let's go back there. Talavrando to safigatai. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 6. He says that by two immutable things in which it is possible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation and have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope that is set before us. Now he's telling us because of the sin of Adam, we all were spiritually dead and were headed for condemnation because of sin we have committed and because of who we are in Adam. But the Bible says when a man believes Jesus, he has fled to the city of refuge. So Christ is our refuge. So when the Bible is telling us that our refuge and our fortress is Christ, this is the explanation from Joshua chapter 20. So just like the man fled and his life was dependent on the life of the high priest, the Bible is saying we also have fled to the to we have fled for refuge. What is that refuge? That refuge is in Christ. That refuge is in Christ. In other words, we can only die spiritually or lose our salvation or lose our forgiveness when Jesus dies. We can only lose our salvation or spiritually die again when Jesus loses his resurrection life. This is incredible. In other words, as long as Jesus is still alive, we can die. As long as a high priest is still living and breathing, we can die. Ladies and gentlemen, a high priest is not just breathing. I can show you from the scriptures. <laughs> Look at Hebrews chapter 7, the verse 22. He says, by so much was Jesus made the surety. That means the sponsor or the guarantor of a better testament. And they truly were made priests because they were suffered to continue by reason of death. In other words, the Old Testament priests, they could not continue their office because they died. He says, but this man, Come on, shout this man. But this man, because he continued ever, had an unchangeable priesthood. He says, wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth. Look, ever liveth. Remember, the only time um, the man who flees to the city of refuge can die is when the high priest dies. And number two, he is called for judgment. But remember, the Bible says it is appointed unto man to die once, and after this, the judgment. So Christ also was once suffered for our sins by death. So there were two conditions for the man dying. Number one, he must be brought to judgment. Christ received that judgment. Number two, the high priest must die. Christ ever liveth. So as long as Jesus lives eternally, we live eternally. 
this is too good as long as a high priest is alive we are alive forevermore so if jesus is eternally resurrected never to die again the bible is telling us we can never lose our salvation by dying spiritually again never so he says but this man because he continued forever has an unchangeable priesthood wherefore he is able also to save to the atambos that come unto God by him seeing he ever lived to make intercession for them this is incredible so Jesus priesthood remains forever in Romans chapter 6 the verse 9 oh thank you Jesus Romans chapter 6 the verse 9 thank you holy spirit thank you holy spirit so romans 6 the verse 9 look at that he says knowing that christ being raised from the dead died no more death had no more dominion over him so christ dies no more that means you know what happens you die no more so the resurrection of jesus christ is the guarantee of our eternal forgiveness freedom from sin and eternal salvation we will die no more we cannot lose our salvation we say this with confidence because it is true there are people who say the believer can lose his salvation if he sins he will not go to heaven people don't know what it means to be in christ the man that was raised dies no more and he is a high priest and the bible says we have fled for refuge that means christ is a city of refuge when we when we believed in him we fled to him we fled to him and because we are in him and he dies no more we can't die we can't lose our salvation we can't go to hell it is impossible the believer is saved forever because of the resurrection of jesus his salvation is guaranteed you hear people saying oh the believer can lose his salvation if he if he sins you go to hell if he does what is evil god's anger will come upon him people don't get this thing the believer is saved forever once you are saved you are saved eternally in christ let's take some few scriptures right now i'm charged for this man hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 hebrews 9 12 thank you jesus Quickly, Hebrews 9, 12. Alright, I read. He says, uh, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So, Jesus entered by his resurrection life, his entire work of salvation, he called it blood his entire work of salvation the bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood so when you uh, when you um, 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 slash the throat of the animal and the blood came out what did it represent the life of the animal has been taken so always blood signifies life and life is blood so when the bible says jesus carried his blood he's saying that he carried his resurrection life that's what he presented before the father so he says to obtain for us eternal uh, eternal redemption so the believer is eternally redeemed because jesus rose and presented himself before the father so he obtained for us eternal redemption so the believer is eternally redeemed note that hebrews chapter 7 the verse 25 hebrews 7 25 i read 
He says, wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever lived to make intercession for them. Now, NLT says, he is able once and forever to save. He is able once and forever to save them that come to God by him. So, those who come to God through Jesus, the Bible says he has the ability to once and forever save them. When a man comes to Jesus, he is once and forever saved. This is the reality. Why? Because the Bible says Jesus ever liveth. The reason why his salvation is eternal because the one who wrote it is eternal. He liveth ever. He liveth ever. Because Jesus lives forever, you live forever. So your salvation is eternal. Listen, Jesus does not give temporal salvation. Jesus does not give temporal salvation. Everything he offers in his work is eternal. That is why you always find eternal redemption, eternal salvation, eternal life, eternal redemption. Because everything Jesus offers is eternal. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that he does not die again. And because he does not die again, you live forever. That's eternal salvation. Hebrews chapter 5, the verse 9. Hebrews 5, 9. Alright, I read. He says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. Hey! He says, And being made perfect. How was he made perfect? Resurrection. That's what we have been saying now. Being made perfect means he was raised. His resurrection was his perfection. He says, And being made perfect, he became the author that means the word author means source he is the source he is the source of eternal salvation unto them that obey him the word obey there does not mean obey obey as in ten commandments no the word obey there is hupakuo which means to believingly obey or to sit under or to listen attentively or to hacking that means you heard his voice and accepted it so he says um, and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that believingly obey him or them that hearken to him that means they hearken to the voice of the gospel so jesus is the source so eternal salvation is not a dangerous message that some young small boys are preaching eternal salvation is not the message that some young boys who are just um, um, having some youthful exuberance, uh, exuberance are preaching eternal salvation is what Jesus wrote to fight against eternal salvation is to fight against its source to fight against eternal salvation is to fight against its source who is the source of eternal salvation jesus hebrews 5 9 and having been made perfect how resurrection he became the author the source of eternal salvation so how did jesus uh, become the source of eternal salvation he became the source of eternal salvation by his perfection in resurrection jesus became the source of eternal salvation by his perfection in in resurrection i repeat jesus became the author or the source or the cause of eternal salvation because of his perfection in resurrection so when a man believes jesus he has entered into the source of eternal salvation and therefore he's saved forever you know people fight against this truth 
but it's true listen if you if you fight against eternal salvation you are still eternally saved if you fight against eternal salvation you are still saved eternally there are, there are people who argue some once saved forever some says no 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 once saved forever not saved the question i always ask is that why will you be looking for scriptures of once saved not forever saved why will you be looking for scriptures to make you think that your salvation is temporal why will you be looking for uh, scriptures to prove that your salvation is like an egg it can fall at any time it is delicate and it can be lost why will you be looking for scriptures like that i don't know about you but i'm excited about the fact that jesus brought me eternal salvation so if you want to lose your salvation lose yours if you want to lose your salvation go ahead and lose it i ain't losing mine i ain't losing mine but you can go ahead to lose it but i have eternal salvation in christ therefore nothing scares me nobody on this earth can scare me about my salvation because i understood that jesus is the source of it he's the cause of it he's the chief of it he brought eternal salvation and that is what we preach john chapter 10 verse 28 john 10 28 thank you jesus john 10 28 all right i love it john 10 28 he says and i give unto them eternal self eternal life i give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand mm. hey i read again and i give who gives god gives remember the gifts and callings of god are without repentance or they are irrevocable so god's gifts are without shadow of turning god does not give and collect god does not do i give you you mess up i take them no his gifts and callings are without repentance the bible says every good gift and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of light of whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning so god does not change his mind when he gives gifts and god is saying through jesus i give unto them eternal life that means eternal life is a gift and god does not take his gifts back he says for the wages of sin is dead but the gift of god is eternal life so he says i give to them eternal life so eternal life is a gift and they shall never perish god is saying you shall never perish yet you are saying you perish god is saying they shall never perish yet you say you perish so are you going by god's word or you are going by your feelings and experiences he says they shall never perish neither shall any man block them out of my hand this is amazing so jesus said nobody can pluck them from my hand now watch this so you are in jesus hands he says nobody can pluck you from his hand let's read further he says my father which giveth them me that means you are a gift to jesus my father which gave them to me so god gave you to jesus as a gift so not only does god give you the gift of eternal life he gives you as a gift to jesus 
So, you are not only having the gift of eternal life. You yourself are a gift to Jesus. You didn't get this. Not only does the believer have eternal life, the believer himself is a gift to Jesus. So, God gave gift to Jesus. That gift is you. So, you are God's gift to Jesus. Do you think God, Jesus will ever lose a gift the Father gave to him? <laughs> this is impossible. So, the resurrection allowed or gave God the opportunity to impart eternal life as a gift so now he says we are in jesus hands remember he says and the father which giveth them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand look first of all jesus says nobody can be able to pluck them out of my hand that's his hand now he says nobody can be able to pluck them out of my father's hand that's the father's hand so the bible is saying this is how secured you are the hand of jesus the hand of the father closed up he says nobody shall be able to pluck them from jesus hands nobody shall be able to pluck them from my father's hand how do i know that the next verse is i am my father are one i am my father are one so this is how secured you are this is how secured you are in christ the father's hand the son's hand he says they are one one that means you can't come out of him you can't come out of christ you need to think about this you can't come out of christ you can't come out of christ and this is what the resurrection did we have eternal salvation in christ <laughs> this is incredible this is incredible this is incredible thank you jesus baratoka farabatus first john chapter 5 verse 11 he says and this is the record that god has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son whosoever has the son has life whosoever does not have the son does not have life so the bible is saying the record is that god has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son what is eternal life eternal life is not living forever eternal life is not living forever why because every man whether born again or not born again he lives forever because spirits don't die so eternal life is beyond living forever though it includes that but eternal life is beyond living forever because man in himself whether he is born again or not is, is an eternal being he lives forever so eternal life is not living forever eternal life means the quality of God's life the essence of God's life the value of God's life that's eternal life the God kind of life is the life from above that's eternal life so he says this life is in his son whosoever has the son so if you have christ he says you have eternal life the verse 13 of first john the verse chapter 5 he says these things are right to you that ye may know that ye have eternal life in other words salvation is not a feeling salvation is a knowing You need to write this down. Salvation is not a feeling. Salvation is a knowing. 
you must not feel saved you must know you are saved because you will never always feel saved so you can't depend on feelings as guarantee for salvation there are people you ask them you know christians don't have the right foundation that's like come here hear them making all kinds of uh, uh rubbish about their salvation how did you know you are saved oh goosebumps was all over my body when i received christ it be goosebumps you go job it be goosebumps you go live by so what if the goosebumps stop one says oh tears flow down my eyes that is how come i know i'm saved tears how long does tears stay on your face how long does tears stay on your face tears are not evidence of salvation goosebumps are not evidence of salvation salvation is a knowledge it's a knowledge he says i write to you that ye may know that ye have eternal life so you must know it you must not feel it because feelings are like the weather it can change at any time but god's word abided forever so we live by the knowledge of the of salvation and not by the feeling of salvation there are people when they do good for one month they feel saved good works is not an evidence of salvation but good works can be the outcome of salvation good works is not an evidence of salvation but good works is the outcome of salvation when you are born again you will do good but good works is not what makes a man saved so his resurrection gave us eternal life that is the same as salvation so we have it we are born of god the believer cannot be unborn he cannot be unborn he cannot just like you cannot enter into your mother's womb again you cannot enter back into spiritual death there is something called crossing from death to life but there is nothing in the entire bible called crossing from life to death you can go and check you will find the believer crossing from death to life but you never find him crossing from life to death you know why because if you are in life it is permanent you know why because the life you are having now is the very life of christ colossians chapter 3 colossians chapter 3 i read from the verse 1 he says if then ye be risen with christ seek those things which are above where christ seated on the right hand of god set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth for ye are dead so you are dead so you don't say i give my life to christ you can't give your life to christ you are dead someone says when did you give your life to christ he says i gave my life to christ five years ago you did not have a life to give you were dead ephesians 2 1 you who were dead in trespasses and sins you were dead you did not have life you were dead so you can't give your life to christ you must receive he says i the thief cometh not except but to kill to steal and to destroy but i have come that ye may have life so we receive the life of christ the gift of god is eternal life so you don't have a life to give but you have a life to receive you don't have a life to give but you have a life to receive you need to notice you don't have a life to give but you have a life to receive that life is the life of christ so the bible says for you were dead have you forgotten in galatians 2 20 he says for i am crucified you are crucified nevertheless i live but christ liveth in me 
Ah, the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. He gave himself. I did not give myself. I did not give myself. He, he loved me and gave himself to me. So Christ gives us his life and we take it. He gives us his life and we dead men receive it. So we don't have life to give. So he says, you were dead. Colossians 3, 4. Three, three. He says, for you were dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Ah, The Bible says we were dead. Now he says, your life is hid with Christ. How can you die and have life? He says, you were dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So what life is he talking about? Look at the verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is our life? <laughs> so who is our life? Christ is our life. Who is our life? Christ is alive. How did we have this life? By resurrection. So the believer does not have a life. He does not have a life. His life is Christ. He says, when Christ, who is alive, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. So our life is Christ. That life is called eternal life. And that life came from resurrection. It came from resurrection. So the believer is saved eternally because of the resurrection of jesus so the believer cannot the believer cannot fall the bible says in jude chapter 1 the verse 24 jude 1 24 thank you lord jesus jude 1 24 i love you lord lesoda bashingaba jude 1 24 he says now unto him that is able to keep you from falling unto him that is able so the ability that keeps you from falling is not in you it is god that is able to keep you from falling god is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy so it is god's ability that keeps you from falling you cannot keep yourself from falling. No wonder the Bible says, let him who thinks he stands, stand well, lest he falls. So you don't have standing ability. No. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm safe forever. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Let's take um, some few scriptures. Let's do this in the next five minutes and close. First Corinthians chapter 6, the verse 17. First Corinthians 6, 17. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, I read. This is too good. He says, oh, my love it. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Now, this one spirit is actually a union. You have been mingled with God. So, how is it possible for you to detach or to demingle from God and lose salvation? It's not possible. He that is joined with the Lord is one spirit. One spirit. One spirit. We are one spirit with him. We cannot detach. We cannot be semi-detached. We are joined with the Lord. That is eternal salvation. He's telling us we cannot be separated. So the resurrection is the assurance of our salvation. We know we cannot lose our salvation because Jesus ever lived. We know we cannot lose our salvation because Jesus lives forever. We know we can never lose our salvation because Jesus never remained in the grave. He's alive. And because he's alive, we are alive forever. Thank you, Jesus. 
thank you jesus so um oh thank you lord <laughs> oh look he says for you are the verse 20 for ye are bought with a price huh. you see many a times we don't read we don't take our time to read the bible he says for you are bought with a price you are bought with a price with a price ladies and gentlemen if you buy an iphone 11 or you buy a new range rover you bought it with a price that thing cost you you bought it with a price do you think you can carelessly drive the car you think you can carelessly be using the iphone 11 no when you buy something at a price or with a price you carefully hold it and protect it the bible is saying god is saying to you that ye are bought with a price he bought you with a price that price is the life of jesus so the value of a man is the value of god's son you didn't get this the value of a man is the value of god's son so the Bible is telling us for God to give you his son, he's saying he values you as his son. For God to give you his only son, he values you as the price of his son. So, Jesus is worth a man. Your value before God's eyes is the value of a son. Because for Jesus, God's son, to be given for your sins means that God values you and gave your value as Christ. So he says, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the Bible is saying your spirit and your body belongs to God. Do you think God can ever lose his property? Even you, when somebody is taking your property, you take the person to court. Even you. When some, somebody is taking a property that belongs to you, you take the person up. You go to the court, you go to the police, you process some documents, you put things in place to protect your asset. Yet you are saying God does not have documents supporting his ownership of you. How come? How come? How come we reduce the work of salvation? He says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So your spirit and your body belongs to God. God does not lose his properties. John chapter 6, the verse 39. I think that's going to be my final scripture for today. John 6, the verse 39. Thank you, Jesus. John 6, 39. Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. John 6 39. All right. He says, And this is the, the Father's will which hath sent me. Let me read that again. And this is the Father's will. So, whatever Jesus is about saying is God's will, God's heart desire. So, he's saying, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me that all that of all which he has given me i should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day this is amazing 
He says, this is the father's will. That all that the father gave to him, he should lose none. He should lose none. So, you are a gift to Jesus Christ and Jesus should lose none. <laughs> this, this is incredible. Jesus cannot lose you. It's impossible. It's impossible for Jesus to lose you. Listen. The resurrection is the guarantee of our eternal forgiveness. The believer is eternally forgiven. When you believe Christ, you receive remission of sins. You are cleansed from sin. In the Old Testament, sin was covered. In the New Testament, sin is bloated, deleted, cleansed, washed once and for all. So the believer is washed, cleansed, wiped away of his sins. There is no slate of sin. Sin is no longer imputed to him. You know why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. So you are assured of you no longer being in your sins. You are forgiven of your sins. You are freed from your sins and you are eternally saved. That's what we have in Christ. Listen to me. Salvation is a marriage. When Adam rose and saw the bride in the New Testament, when Christ rose from the dead, he saw you and I as his bride. Salvation is a marriage. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. For this reason, Jesus left Joseph and Mary, father and mother, and cleaved in his dead burial resurrection unto his wife, the church, and the two today have become one flesh. Paul says this is the mystery. He says for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. Salvation is a marriage. When you have believed Christ, you are married. You are married. Mar you are married to Christ. In every marriage union, you say till death do us part. In the marriage union of Christ, he says my death made you part. His death made you a part. And because you are married to Christ, you are one with him. Salvation is a marriage. Salvation is a birth. When you are saved, you are born again. To be saved means you are born. If salvation is a birth, you cannot be unborn. I always see born again. I've never seen unborn again. I always see born again. I always don't see unborn again. I always see marriage. I don't see divorce. God himself says, I hate divorce. So how does Jesus divorce you because you sinned? God says, I hate divorce and you are married to Christ. So how does Jesus divorce you when he himself hates divorce? This, this is unthinkable. Salvation is a birth. You cannot be unborn. When you are given birth by your mother and you play the fool, does mother say that because you are playing the fool, I will put you back under me and turn you back into a spend and give you back to my father, uh, to your father? He doesn't say that because even parents know that when you are born, you are you cannot be unborn. How much more God? When you are born again, you cannot be unborn again. That is the seal of salvation. That is what the resurrection of Jesus guaranteed. We are saved forever. Salvation is a union. We are one body. The church is the body of Christ. We are part of Christ. We are one with Christ. We are part of him. We cannot be detached from him. No, it's not possible. We are members of his body. Christ cannot present himself without you. No, no, no. No, because you are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. 
I'm teaching on the essence of his resurrection. Then we value what it means that Jesus rose never to die again. We are fled to refuge. We are born of God. We are married to Christ. We are joined with him as one spirit. We see, see, the believer is not trying to make it to heaven. That is why you cannot threaten the believer with heaven. Or even hell. You can't say, oh, when you sin, you go to hell. When you do good, you go to hell. You can't threaten them. So, heaven is the right of the believer. Heaven is a right. It's a right. Like every citizen has a right of belonging to his nation or nationality. Every citizen of heaven has the right to enter heaven. When I traveled to India, when we got to the airport, and I was trying to go to the, through the airport to enter into the real land of India, I saw the citizens of India walking confidently and boldly and there were two sessions. One for Indians or Indian uh, nationals and one for foreigners. So I was following the Indians comfortably on their lane. I was going together with them. I was behaving as an Indian. Once I was following them, one of the immigration officers asked me, are you an Indian? I said, no. He says, move here the indians were freely assessing their nation because they belong there though they travel they still belong there when i was joining them they asked me to come back and be as part of the foreigners i felt shameful how i was called to leave that that queue only god can tell the shame i, I felt because they are nationals of india so they had access they weren't asked so many questions like i am they asked me how much do i have on me they searched my luggages about two three times four times they asked me so many questions the indian nationals were entering oh and i realized that entering into your own nation is a right you can't be denied the believer cannot be denied entering heaven he says but you have come to mount zion to the city of the living god to an heavenly jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels to the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven so the bible says currently ephesians 2 19 you are no longer foreigners or strangers or aliens but fellow citizens of god's household fellow citizens and members of god's household so the believer can walk confidently into heaven you go, Michael. And your Michael says, um, bring your passport. Let me see. Tell him, open that door. And your Michael, open that door. It is my right to enter. Open that door. I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't need passport. My passport is eternal life. Open that door and let me enter. We can never be denied of heaven. The believer is not trying to go to heaven. The believer is made up of heaven. The Bible says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 We are citizens. We are not trying to get to heaven. We are citizens. That is who we are. <laughs> we are citizens. The resurrection of Jesus has guaranteed our salvation. Lift your voice and begin to thank the Lord and bless him.